could be used for all sorts of things, right? Let's see if there's something else. this right here. What do you think these are for? Or these guys? There's so many. Wow, that's an interesting piece. I wonder what that is. Oh, it looks like it is a, I don't know, maybe a candlestick? I don't know. But do you know how these things are made? <laughs> That's it. What is this? What is this thing? This is called a potter's wheel. Some of my friends from Queen City Clay here in Cincinnati, um, ha they have some videos on what it looks like to work with clay on a potter's wheel. Did you want to see some right now? I have a few clips I'll pull up for you. When you do that, you can get these really, really efficient holes where you're moving a lot of clay. So I'm going to continue driving in the entire time all the way up to my rim and continue squeezing with that right hand in until I get the wall to the thickness that I want it to side. Not very much. I don't want to squeeze the sponge in there, but I want my finger gliding on the inside. And then when I'm ready, I'm going to push up with that rib and undulate and work it right out. To the okay, because my rib... And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that little field trip. I just wanted to kind of show you like what a potter's wheel looks like. Why do you think I wanted to show you that? If you guessed because it has something to do with our story for today, you are 100% correct. So yes, we have a story from the Bible, which you remember what the Bible is? The word of God in story form here very true stories, and they're really exciting. Today, we're in a section of the Bible called Romans. Can you say Romans? Yes, and Romans is written by a guy named Paul, and Paul is just someone who loves Jesus and um, wants to tell other people all about Jesus. And so in the book of Romans, it's in chapter 9, uh, Paul specifically tells us that God is like a potter, isn't that cool? <laughs> so he's basically, he, God makes all sorts of pieces. He's very creative. And can you guess what or who his creations are? Yes, that's right. You and me. And God made us all so differently. And Paul wanted us to know that God made us differently on purpose. And even though we're different, God loves us all exactly the same. And he loves us all very much. So, and he loves you actually exactly the way that he made you. Now, some of these pieces, like the, some of the pieces we saw earlier in the video, just didn't seem as exciting as others. Like some were just not as colorful, some were a little smoother and didn't have um, some cool designs on it. But does that change how important those pieces are to the potter who made them? Not at all. The potter loves every single one of those, and God is the same way. He's made us all differently, and he loves us all very much. So I am really glad that God loves me and loves you, and I'm also really excited that he made you and me for a special purpose. So he's And he's done this very same thing for everyone. So would you mind praying with me for a moment? And as just as a reminder, prayer is just talking to God. And so all you need to do is just put your hands together. You can close your eyes just to kind of focus and just repeat after me. Dear God, 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making us perfectly special. Thank you for making us different. And thank you for giving us a purpose. Help us to know how much you love us and how to do the things we were made to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, boys and girls, I hope you have a great day, and I'll see you later. Bye. Thank you, Jinda, and we will be um, exploring some uh, more of the God as the potter and us being the clay. Uh, but first... Um, uh, just a special welcome to uh, a number of you. It is, as Michael said, great to see your faces. It's even good this Sunday to see your frowns as well as your smiles. I can't say that'll last, uh, but it is great to see everyone's faces. Sorry, you're stuck with mine. Um, it's also nice that there's not some uh, uh, some guard here but, but between us. Um, and we look forward to further entering into this new way of life. How many of you, you know, when you go in a room and the electricity is off and you've already called the power company, you still flick the switch? Think, you know, how many of you this morning were like, oh, where's my mat? Oh, I don't have to wear it. I, I went hiking. Uh, for a week last week, um, uh, my oldest and youngest child and myself, we were in the middle of the desert in Arizona or in Utah. We saw six other people the entire week that we were out there. Um, there were uh, three people that were with us, three other people that were with us, and plus a guide was one because I don't know how to hike in the desert and find water where we need to, but uh, they did. Um, and uh, even when I was out there, there were times that I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I was supposed to have my mask. I'm in the middle of the desert with more lizards than people. Um, just those those habits. But uh, we'll a special welcome uh, to Tony and to Debbie and to Todd, who were some of the folks that were hiking with us, who um, they made me give them how they could get online on Sunday and watch the service. And I made them promise they would tell no stories. So if uh, hopefully they'll keep their end of the bargain. But if they're able to be on, Samantha was our guide. I think she's back on the trail. So I don't think she's here. But if y'all are here, welcome uh, to you. And um, others that are with us online. Uh, also, as uh, Michael said as well, special uh, welcome to those families who are with us in this time, uh, this Remembrance Sunday, where we remember those who have died in the previous year and even beyond. Uh, and the passage that we'll look at t- today helps to speak uh, to these times of, of grief, these times of pain, loss, particularly just times of, of disappointment or anguish is exactly the word that Paul uses with God. Times, times that we're frustrated, angry with God. Because things aren't working the way we want them to work. And, and certainly we've experienced that a lot in the last year. We, we've experienced that through, through death. I mean, all of us, I mean, these, these loved ones that you're allowing us to join with you and remember are our loved ones too. And uh, we've experienced a lot of other disappointment in a variety of ways. Um, uncertainty, anger towards God. And that's okay. Matter of fact, it's good, as we'll see. 
And that's what we'll look at in our particular passage in Romans chapter 9. Um, a, a little bit of a, uh, just setting the context of Romans, just reminding us about this, this book. You know, so as, as Jen just said, it was written from Paul, who is one of the, the, the first missionaries of the church. He's writing to the church in Rome. Now, the, the church, you know, in the first century, they, they didn't have buildings. They didn't meet in large, they met in homes. So it would have been there were probably five different churches of 10 to 20 people that met in homes throughout Rome. And Paul's writing them a letter because they're in a situation where the church is greatly diverse. There are Jews and Gentiles. Now, Jews are are people who follow the Hebrew Scriptures. You know, they're the ones that are God's people. Gentiles is everybody else. That's They were not Jews. But now, in Jesus, as Jesus has come on the scene, the, 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 the church, God's people, has exploded and invited and welcomed anyone and everyone to come be a part. So they got a variety of backgrounds, very different in what they've believed and their family structures and all the rest, and yet they're coming together in the church. And that's why the, the, the old book of Romans was written to them to say, this is how you, uh, you attain harmony in Jesus together because there's nothing else that's going to pull them together but Jesus. Uh, but what's happened in, in, in Rome and as the church has expanded, um, fewer and fewer Jews are choosing to believe that Jesus is the sent one from God. That, that Jesus is the Savior from God. Fewer and fewer are believing that. Now, Jesus was Jewish. All the early disciples were Jewish. The the vast majority of the early church in Jerusalem was Jewish. But as it expanded, which was God's plan, as we'll see, fewer and fewer Jews chose to believe Jesus. And and Paul, that's, that's why Paul is angry, disappointed, anguished, was what the word that... Uh, translators use to describe how Paul is feeling towards God because that more and more of his kinspeople are, are not turning to Jesus. Um, so as we, that, that, that setting now from that we'll tease out and explore just how it is that Paul teaches us to address God in, in times of disappointment and what we can learn in our, ang- when we are distraught and, and Anguished before God, how do we respond? All right, um, Romans chapter 9. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, again, we give you thanks for your written word that speaks to us of your truth. Now, uh, enable our minds and our hearts, our very souls, to receive from you what you would teach us and how you would lead us. So that we would glorify and honor you and live into the fullness of life that you have for us today and to to be the 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 part that you would have for us to play the part that you've created us to be as we are the clay and you are the potter mold and form us in the name of jesus we pray amen all right Uh, romans chapter 9 starting with verse 1 i'm speaking the truth in christ i'm not lying my conscience bears witness in the holy spirit That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises 
To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now, so you see here, in this part of the passage, Paul is sharing his anguish, as I mentioned, his, his confusion, his pain. And I think it's really important to see that. Um, that, that often our anguish and our pain, as he mentions here, it's really more about the heart than it is the head. It's really more about what we feel versus what we think. And, and it's important to recognize and affirm those feelings. Oftentimes, we, we think, we, we tend to downplay or downgrade uh, our feelings. And that's to our demise. And Paul is great. He is, what he is feeling and what he is, he wants to let it out to God. And he, he's, he's not encumbered. He's not inhibited. He, his pain, he puts it out before God. He's disappointed. He confused and he lets him know. I mean, he longs for his kinspeople to trust in Jesus like he does. He has found that, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he wants them to know him. And they're not coming to follow him. So God, what are you doing? They're dismissing God's very presence in their midst. Now, two, two points of application. The first is for all of us, whether, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not. One, just know this. Be real with God. You got questions. You got troubles. You got pains. Let God have it. God can handle it. Don't, don't try to deny them. Don't try to sweep them under the rug. Don't try to give them a happy face. Be real with God. I mean, if God is real, which I believe God is, If the Bible is true, I believe the Bible is true, then here's the kicker. God already knows what you feel, whether you're going to admit it to yourself and to God or not. So let it out. Don't try to keep it in or deny it. Using the language of our day, don't cancel yourself before God. Tell God what you're feeling. And you got a few people that you can trust. Tell them also. The worst thing you can do, lie to yourself or try to hold it in, deny it, sweep it under the rug. That doesn't work. All right. The, the next point of application, and, and, and like I said, even for Christians or non I find even people that, that don't claim to be um, believers in God, there's still times that they'll pray. There's still times that they know there's something bigger than themselves. I believe that there is. And if you're, you're here and that's you, that's okay. Let God know it. It, it. It's healthy for you in the moment. And it may even have wonderful eternal consequences for you as well. Uh, but particularly for those that are Christians, particularly those who claim to follow Jesus, there's another application point here that I don't want to miss. It's not in line with the main theme of the, the sermon, so my homiletics professor would, you know, count points off, but I, I can't miss this one just because it was so powerful and so powerful to me. Um, do you catch Paul's passionate longing for others to believe, trust, and follow Jesus? Did you catch that here? Did you hear what he said? He said, I wish that I was separated from Jesus if my brothers and sisters who are in the flesh, my fellow Jews, would come to know him. I do not have that same passion. I confess to you, I do not. 
I do not have that kind of longing that Paul has. Do you? Or do you need to join me in, in confessing, saying, you know, you're right, I, I don't. I don't have that same kind of longing that Paul has for those around him that don't know him. Are you, like me, maybe too secure in my own walk with Jesus and just settled on that lazy river? This is a challenging question for us from Paul's passion here. Let us not just be biding our time until Jesus returns, but may God break our hearts for the same things that break God's heart as we engage with the world. All right, so uh, our anguish, our confusion often are about what we feel rather than what we think. Let those things be known to God. Uh, that's the second thing. Now, this is a little more complex. We're going to un- unpack the, this one a little bit. But it's, we're really going to be looking at what we see what Paul looks at in terms of his confusion, his anguish, his frustration. He's going to be looking at God's actions, God's character, specifically honing in on God's mercy. That, that God gives what we don't deserve. Uh, Paul's anguish, again, over that so few of his fellow Jews are following Jesus. And so he's asking the question, and others are asking the question in light of this. So is God abandoning the promises that he made to Israel? Is, is, Is he breaking his promises? Is he letting go of those? Is this a sign of that? Is he... Because God had chosen Israel to be his people. Through Israel, he's going to bring salvation to the world. From Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 15. Through you, I'm going to make a people. And and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your people. And through you and your people, I'm going to bless the world. That was the promise that God made to Abraham. That long time. is has, has, Has God going to renege on that promise? So again, large section here. Um, I'm actually going to read uh, verses 6 through 16. I think I might have told you uh, verses 18 um, uh, on, on the screen, but that's okay. They can still be there, but I'll just read 6 through 16. Um, but And it'll have a lot of references to Old Testament characters, Hebrew Scripture events that some of you may remember, others not. I'll try to just un- unpack those that may be um, for all so that they're somewhat familiar what Paul is getting at in um, highlighting those stories as we read it. So, uh, but but just listen, jump in, get get what you can. As I say, sometimes reading the Bible is like eating watermelon. You know, eat the parts you like, the rind, just leave it to the side. Um, and uh, sometimes it, it can be made into good stuff, uh, but it takes time. Uh, so just get what you can from this. Um, starting with verse six. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac. 
though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of Him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, just real quick on that part. So there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the folks that he's mentioning. So Abraham, and then he mentions Isaac, and he's saying God chooses Isaac, but not the other of Abraham's offspring. God chooses Jacob, but not Esau, his twin, and not others that were children of Isaac. Um, and, and he's saying this is about God's choice of these particular people. So the key thing here, Israel is not about a genealogy. It's not about a lineage. It's not even about a nation. It is about a people of promise that God has chosen to be the ones who participate in the salvation of the world. The key thing here is God's choice, not there. We'll unpack that a little more. And uh, um, uh uh, we'll unpack that uh, a little bit more during the, the service. And um, uh, there may be other questions. Glad to, to talk afterwards. Or we'll also have a little Zoom call this week uh, for this particular passage. Um, but I'll give you info about that um, later for those that want to dive deeper um, into this. All right, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. All right, now, so were the promises to Israel broken? No, they weren't broken. The problem is you're thinking of Israel in terms of the flesh not in terms of the promise. That's what uh, uh, Paul mentions here in verse 11, where he he says, these are the people that are Israel, but they're Israel not by the flesh, not by their genealogy, not because they can relate their genes back to Abraham. They're children of God's promise, not children of uh, some nation or lineage or genealogy. The The Israel of God is formed by God's faithful promise. The the children of God are formed by God's choosing. This is what we call the doctrine of election. Just because they're a descendant of Israel, just because they have the right genealogy or the right parents or grandparents or great-great-great-grandparents does not make them a member of God's people of promise. Ultimately, those chosen by God They they demonstrate God's choice of them by their trust in God. But it's not something that they've earned. It's something they have received from God. That's verse 11 where he's talking about Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau are twins. They're in Rebekah, their mother's womb. And yet God says while they're in the womb, I choose Jacob. So it had nothing to do, and, and Paul says, it had nothing to do with what they did. They hadn't done anything yet. They've just been in the womb. They, they have no, nothing that God is responding to within them. It is them who are responding to God's choice of them. And, and Jacob and Esau demonstrate the priority of God's choice that highlights not Jacob's goodness or righteousness but, or his works, but God's mercy. Now, 
Uh, you might see that and, and you might respond just like uh, people Paul did and others did. God chooses some but not others. Verse 14. This is unfair. This is unjust, they would say. And again, Paul corrects them. No, this is not unjust. This is merciful. You, you, you don't want fair. Because fairness, and Paul has talked about this earlier in the, in the, the letter as well. Fairness is that none are good enough. Fairness is that, that none measure up to the righteousness and goodness of God. Fair would be that all receive God's judgment. Now, this is God's mercy that God chooses some to be, to participate and be the carriers of His salvation to the world. Without God mercifully choosing of some to be God's people, there would be no one. There would be no salvation. For all would get what we deserve. And that is God's judgment. But in God's mercy, God rescues the world from destruction and judgment and involves humans in the process of the very salvation of creation. So the promises are fulfilled to those that God has chosen. The ones God has chosen, the Israel of God from Abraham on, God has fulfilled God's promises to the end. And matter of fact, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. And it's all because of God's mercy. Again, the problem is you think of Israel as a nation or as a genealogy. No, it's a people of promise. And that is God's people from beginning to end. And it's God's mercy that invites us chooses us to be a part of the salvation to the world. The most common phrase, most commonly quoted passage in the Bible where God reveals God's self, that describes God's character. It's when God reveals Himself to Moses back in Exodus. God is slow to anger, quick to forgive, and filled with steadfast love. That is the mercy of of God that chooses some to be his people to participate in the very salvation of the world. Now, if this is true, if 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 the church of God, the people of God, it's not an institution. It's not a membership role that we keep or or records or those kind of things. It's not related to our genealogy or anything like that, but it's related first and foremost to God's choice to God choosing us, to God invading our lives, to to planting the seed of faith, and then us responding to God's work in our lives by trusting in Him. If that's the case, that it's based on God's mercy, not our works, not our genealogy, then what is our response if that is the case? That we're here because God has chosen us. We belong to God because He took the initiative to, to choose us. He took the initiative to bring His Son to die for us. Then our response, our life is always to be characterized by humility and gratitude. Because I have nothing to do with it. It is God's work that God has given to us, not something I have attained or achieved. 
You, you've heard me say this a number of times. Oftentimes we think we hit a triple when really we were born on third base. That is the truth when it comes to following Jesus. It is God's work in us. And so hu- humility and gratitude. Just thank, every day is one of gratitude and thanksgiving for the gifts that God has given. Now, again, that's not denying the pain, the anguish, the confusion that we have with God. We let God have that. And as we do, we engage and we remember, we encounter His mercy, that He is slow to anger, quick to forgive, and filled with steadfast love. And then what has eventually been so anguish-ridden leads us, leads us to trust. To trust in God's mercy. If, if the, the doctrine of election is true that Paul's teaching here, then humility and gratitude are the very baseline of our lives. Even in our confusion, even in our anguish, even through the tears, we can celebrate God's mercy and find our footing in humility and gratitude based firmly in His mercy. Now, for those that may be here watching online who who today would not say, again, would not say you were a follower of, of Jesus, not a follower of God. It may be that just today God is calling you to himself. It may be just now looking through this passage, believe it or not, or this day that you're experiencing the poking and prodding and prompting of God in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. And I invite you. I invite you to act on that prodding, to, to, to consider that, to, to explore those thoughts and those feelings. Here we have a, a class that we'll be doing this summer. It's called Alpha. It's a small group, actually, where questions are welcomed and expected. Even, even um, cussing is welcome and expected. We want you to be real. I want you to engage with God, engage with others, asking those kind of questions that maybe you can't ask in other places. But that will be coming in July, or maybe just a conversation. Uh, if you're interested in the Alpha class, or interested just in a conversation, yeah, maybe God's poking or prodding or doing something with me. I don't know, and I don't like it. <laughs> I encourage you just to send an email to info at chpc.org. Info, I-N-F-O, at chpc.org and just say, I want to talk about Jesus. And we will get back to you. We'll talk to you about Alpha and all the rest. But maybe this is God's choosing of you. All right. So in times of confusion and uncertainty, we remember that God is merciful, slow to anger, quick to forgive, filled with steadfast love. All right, the last section in uh, ninth chapter or verse 19 through 24. Uh, Paul comes up with another question. All right, so if God's the one that chooses, why doesn't God choose all? That's his question. Who can resist God? All right, 19 through 24. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man? To answer back to God, will what is molded say to his molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? 
What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Here... But Paul shows us that in times of his confusion, times of his anguish, he trusts in God's patience. He trusts in God's mercy and he trusts in God's patience. I mean, God, what he says here, God is working out God's plan in order to maximize God's glory. The, the, the demonstration of God's beauty and, and, and also to, to maximize the fullness of human dignity and participation in the salvation of the world. I mean, that's what, what he says in verse 23. All of this is in order to make known the riches of God's glory, which he's prepared beforehand. Even us whom he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. See, he is at work fulfilling God's plan in order to maximize human participation beyond from these, from Abraham and Abraham's d- descendants who are part of the people of prom, of God's people of promise, to now exploding it to the world. Jew and Gentile. And the, the rest of the passage, you can read that on your own. He quotes from a couple other um, Hebrew scriptures that, that talk about how God's going to bring his Messiah and explode God's salvation to the world. That's what God is. He's maximizing God's glory, maximizing the human participation in the work of salvation. God is patient to do what maximizes the fullness of of God's creation. Again, now you might ask, why not choose all? Well, here, here's you, you figure there's three options. Choose none, choose some, choose all. The quick solution would be to choose none or all. You choose none, there's no human participation because none survive. You choose all, there's no human dignity in participating, there's, there's not the, the possibility of people maturing in faith and walking with Christ and others choosing not to and receiving God's, receiving what they want, which is separation from God. So one would deny human participation, the other would deny human dignity. But God chooses some out of his mercy and out of his patience does it just right to maximize Glory and human dignity and participation. Uh, I was reminded um, by my, my sister that a story of a football player uh, who was in the middle of a game on the field. Uh, their, their, their team was in this real battle, you know, zero to zero, nobody scored. And the player says to another player, you know, I'm really angry because, the, you know, these are the wrong plays. The, these plays are not working. We're not moving the ball. We're not scoring. And, and the other more experienced player said, you know, you, you got to trust the guys up there. Now, he wasn't pointing to God. He was pointing to the press box. There were coaches in the press box. And, and they could see the whole field. They could see the whole game. They, and they were calling plays in order to expose the weaknesses on the other team. 
And it just took another series or two later, by the end of the third quarter, they had identified the weakness, called the right play, and scored a touchdown and won the game. But the ones who were seeing the whole picture, who had a plan, who were patient, knew exactly what needed to happen, where those that were in the game just saw the player in front of them and were frustrated. That's what Paul is telling them and he's telling us now. In the midst of our confusion and frustration and struggle, God is the one who, in His glory, has the plan, has the patience to work it out on what maximizes God's glory to the world and maximizes human participation in the very salvation of the world. You know that's why He chose you. Not not just so you get your ticket punched. But he chose you to participate in the salvation of the world, to be a witness to the world, to be an actor in the world for what is good, what is right, what is just, what is lovely, what is beautiful. Part of our grief today, as we remember others, is because those that went before us who played their part, and we miss the way that they were participating in the the beauty of God's plan, in the the patience and and mercy of God's plan uh, of enabling us to participate in the work of salvation, the work of God's glory in our world. In times of confusion, we trust in God's patience. When, When we trust in God's patience, we feed our hope. Be patient in God's patience. In the face of confusion, evil, and pain, don't deny anger. Don't deny the frustration. Don't deny the grief. They are real in the midst of whatever situation. But remember, God is patient and will fulfill God's plan for the salvation of the world even in our darkest moment. So tell God what you're feeling. Trust in God's mercy. Believe in God's patience. And then in humility and gratitude caused by God's mercy and the hope that is fed by God's patience, you're freed not only to survive through grief, pain, and confusion, but even to thrive because we're empowered with the hope to participate in God's plan to love the world through God's people. Realize that you're a part of God's maximizing human participation in the salvation of the world. You have been chosen for this eternal purpose, even in the midst of confusion and anguish, just like Paul. God is merciful and patient. God is fulfilling God's plan to perfection and we get to be a part of it. Let's pray together.